Welcome to Life After Business, the podcast where your host, Ryan Tansom, brings you all the information you need to exit your company and explore what life can be like on the other side. Welcome back to the Life After Business podcast. This is episode 89. Do you ever wake up and feel like there's internal conflict between who you are, what your business does, what your business represents, what kind of culture you have internally, and then what is it that you really want to do deep down inside? Do you think you are authentic to yourself and to others around you? Well, today we're going to be digging into what it means to be authentic to yourself, to your employees, to your company, and to who you are. My guest today's name is Erin Weed. She started a company back in her early 20s called Girls Fight Back after she found out one of her college roommates had been murdered. She created a company and a legacy in her college roommate's name, all while training over 1 million women in self-defense across the U.S. And she's on the show today to describe her experience letting go of this company that she had built from her inside out because she determined that she had changed and in order to be authentic to herself, she had to move on and create something new. She walks us through the journey on how she went about doing it, how she found the right buyer that she was able to pass on this baby of hers and this legacy to make sure that it survived while getting what she deserved. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy this interview with Aaron. This episode of Life After Business is brought to you by Solidity Financial's Growth and Exit Planning. Their proven process gives you clarity on all of your exit options and how those options impact your financial success, timing, and future happiness. Sell your company on your time frame to the right buyer at the price you want. Aaron, how are you doing today? I'm doing so good. Thanks so much for having me. I'm looking forward to having you on the show. You have one heck of a story and, and a bunch of different things that have tied you to this podcast today. You know, so the listeners that aren't familiar with your story and why you became an entrepreneur, can you go back to the day that you decided that you wanted to start a company? And I know that's a very loaded question for you, but you know, where how did you decide to become an entrepreneur? And maybe you want to tell the story prior to that or, you know, because I know a lot of that is intertwined. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know that I ever made a decision to be an entrepreneur. I was on a mission. And so I guess I'll share with you the story that kind of got yeah, my mission be a going. Great idea. All right, cool. So I uh, graduated from college in 1999, and then I moved uh, to New York City in 2000 just to really pursue my life stream of being a TV producer. And I wanted to produce documentaries. I've always been a storyteller and really driven by the authentic expression of, of who we are and what our stories are. And so I was doing that for about a year when I got the news in June of 2001 that one of my best friends had been murdered while fighting off an attacker in her apartment back in Illinois. And for me, it was just kind of one of those moments, you know, one of those matrix moments where, Mm -hmm. you know, you got the two pills and, and I started to see that there was this perspective on the world that was dark and gritty and hard and scary when I really came from a life of privilege where I didn't fear for my life. I didn't fear for the lives of my friends. And So this kind of threw me into a whole new reality. And um, when I went home for the wake and the funeral, my my friend was named Shannon McNamara. And uh, when I went home for Shannon's funeral, one of the things that I noticed was that all of my friends, and we were all in our very young 20s at that point, I was 22. And I noticed that her murder was forcing all of us to really rethink our safety and to rethink the life decisions we were making and 
I noticed that a lot of my friends started making decisions stemming from fear. And uh, this wasn't okay with me. And to give you an example, like I had a friend who was going to travel the world and she decided maybe that wasn't a safe idea to do that by herself, backpack Europe. Another friend who was going to take an internship downtown Chicago, but then she was like, you know what? There's too many sketchy parking lots in a bad area of town, not safe. And I started being like, oh my gosh, like there's a bigger tragedy here than, than even losing Shannon. And that's that women are not living their authentic lives because we're fundamentally afraid of being raped or killed. And so um, that kind of started the mission. And, you know, I, I really also just wanted to, in addition to just helping women not make decisions stemming from fear, I also just wanted to keep the legacy going for Shannon because her, her mom actually said to me at her funeral, she said, you know, there's actually something worse than losing a child. And I was like, what could that even be? <laughs> you know? And she said, she said, I'm afraid that, that after all this is over, that the world's going to forget her name. And I was like, well, that's not going to happen. <laughs> you know, like, Challenge accepted. I, totally. Like, I don't know how to do anything. I'm 22. I have no credentials, but I know I have a big mouth. And like, I know <laughs> how to get people to listen to things. And I was a sorority president. Shannon and I were sorority sisters. So one thing I knew how to do was get sorority women to do stuff. And I also knew that sorority women were basically forced to go to see speakers at college. And I knew that these speakers were paid. And so this was kind of the entrepreneurial piece of it. Um, after getting trained in self-defense and personal safety, a ton of different programs I took and got certified in, I put together this seminar and basically started speaking at colleges with the main reason being, I just wanted to educate women so that something that, that happened to Shannon may, might be preventable for someone else. And, um, and then before you know it, people like started paying me and then I was like, Oh my gosh. And then I found there's like this, there's a whole business behind it. And then I got a, an agent, uh, who was booking me at colleges all across the country. And then I was like, Oh my gosh, there's 5,000 colleges and universities in the United States of America. And if I could be getting paid to do this and I could be killing so many birds with one stone, you know, I could be funding my life and also teaching women to become their own best protectors and not make decisions stemming from fear and keep the legacy of Shannon McNamara alive. And so that's kind of how I became an entrepreneur, but I never sat down and was like, I'll start a business. Right. right. <laughs> so, well, I mean, and it's created from just major passion and personal experience, which is, you know, it, it makes it that much easier to wake up and pursue the mission. You know, we, you know as you're going through this, you you know, for the seminars, maybe just, I mean, I'm totally curious. So, so what was it? Was it actual self-defense classes or like, what was the actual guts of the presentations that you were given? Yeah, that was something I had to figure out pretty early on because taking a topic like self-defense and teaching it to the masses can be challenging because, you know, usually these are taught in small classes, controlled settings. And I knew that that wasn't very scalable. So I figured out a way to really position us in the market is not being a self-defense class, but really a seminar that bridges people to a full contact class. So we formed partnerships with martial arts studios and self-defense programs all over the world. And, the, and our like goal was just to be the program that could shift the way young women thought about personal safety and self-defense and then connect them to those people to learn more. So our approach was, um, it was all taught by young cute 20-something young women 
Um, so it started off just being me, but then I, I trained other, other women as well as we grew. And we kind of like to do a blend of ass kicking and stand up comedy. <laughs> that sounds fun. <laughs> you had to like make them laugh if you wanted to make them listen, because you got to understand like a lot of what women get in regards to safety education is like, you know, the chubby campus cop pulling up his pants and being like, you ladies <laughs> gotta stop dressing like you want to be raped, you know? And it's like, come on, man. Yeah. Class dismissed. So, <laughs> <laughs> so like that's what we're accustomed to. So I was like, all right, if we can do like a cool version of like telling women to be safe and not tell them like, we, we didn't believe in telling people not to do things. Like I never said, don't hook up with a guy or don't drink because, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's every woman's choice, how she wants to conduct her personal life. But what we would do is give them tools for how to um, be as safe as possible in those situations. So at what point, you know, as you're at, you know, when you said you hired the agent and you're starting to go to, I mean, I don't know if you, how many of the 5,000 schools you hit up, but, you know, Aaron, at what point did you go? Okay, instead of instead of a personal mission and you're funding your life, you you'd mentioned scale already. And at what point were you like, hey, this is a business? And then how did you shift it from the personal mission, which you probably still had in your business, but shift it into the entrepreneur mindset and wanting to create a scalable scalable business? You know, I think that only happened in maybe the final year. <laughs> like, and I ran it for twelve years, and I I mean, I really ran that company like an activist. And like I was on a personal mission. And for me, that that was an asset. It also, it also though, it took a toll on my personal well-being, though. That I mean, you can only operate at, at that level of intensity for so long. Like mm-hmm. right now, I'm watching all these kids in Parkland, Florida, who are, are rising up after this recent uh, mass shooting at their school. And like I feel so proud of them because they're doing stuff that adults have not been able to get done. And at the same time, I feel deeply concerned about their emotional well-being because I haven't been in their situation at all, but I've been in something kind of similar playing in this realm. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, it's easy to get so caught up in the movement that you forget you have to take care of yourself. So what were some of the things that you were that were suffering because of it? I would say mental health in general. I developed um, a pretty significant anxiety disorder. And it wasn't, my life though was crazy. I mean, I was living on the road. I was on airplanes over 200 days a year. Uh, you know, I was every night I'm like speaking to a packed auditorium of young women that I'm driving alone to my Hampton Inn somewhere in the middle of nowhere. Cause all college towns are like nowhere. And then, you know, getting up the next morning, do a media interview in that town at like five in the morning and then getting on a plane by seven to go to the next city. It's not, it's not particularly a healthy lifestyle, I would say, but for a long time, it was sustainable because of the passion and the, and the drive. And for me, I think it's a shift was when I started to have children and all of a sudden there were different priorities. So, you know, when you were traveling all around like that and in just to kind of give the listeners a little bit of um, idea, the, the, the breadth of the organization you had, I mean, you, you, it, taught how many people i think it was in over a million and how did you have other people that were underneath you what was kind of the 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 structure of the organization yeah we taught over a million women in less than a decade and live events so this was really kind of before the whole online era so we i mean there wasn't facebook when i started this there wasn't even really websites or email marketing so uh which makes me feel like a dinosaur but it was only 2001 (laughs) it wasn't that long ago (laughs) it wasn't that long ago (laughs) 
But um, which I'm actually grateful for. I, you know, to be able to start a business without all those tools, I think is a really great asset. It's a lot to be said. Yeah. So you had over a million people that you had uh, taught. Was was did you have a bunch of people underneath you, or how were, was it just you, or what was the kind of the, the structure of the the company? Yeah, for seven years it was just me, and that was not sustainable. And uh, I mean, it was very productive, but it was not sustainable. And it was really being pregnant with my first child. Uh, that changed everything because, and it wasn't even like, oh, all of a sudden I'm having babies and I don't want to be doing that anymore. It was more like when you speak to teen and college girls for a living and you stand up on a stage for 90 minutes and you're pregnant, it's like <laughs> you are their worst nightmare <laughs> staring them in the face. Like you got to remove yourself for their like well-being. It's too distracting. <laughs> so that's when I was like, all right, I got to eradicate myself. And um, which, which was a blessing. You know, and that's when I trained a team of young women in the United States. I trained uh, six people. And then I also, the, the following year, trained a woman in India and a woman in Pakistan. And um, that was an amazing experience as well to see how the information is scaled and delivered. And, and you know, it's localized. We, I really empowered them to make it theirs, the Pakistani version of Girls Fight Back. and. Uh, so th that's how we reached that many people. I, I couldn't have done that all by myself. How was it? How was that taken in those different cultures? That must have been very interesting. And those women must have been crazy brave going on that mission. Oh, my. These women are completely incredible. Um, Khalida Brohi is the Pakistani woman. And she's, I mean, she had also started this organization that was set up simply to combat honor killing in Pakistan, which uh, if your listeners aren't mm -hmm. aware, it's basically, you know, when like your family basically kills you for, um, very ridiculous things. Horrible. Oh my gosh. Um, but it's your family, it's your, your tribe. And so, um, anyway, she's the epitome of brave. And so she took us to Pakistan and, um, another woman named Trina took us to Mumbai and she was working with a bunch of sex trafficked women. Mm -hmm. And so it was cool. I, I really just kind of let them run with it. I didn't, I didn't feel it was my place as, you know, the, the American woman to be telling them how to run right. that over there. Right. So mm -hmm. you, how did the business shift? You, you said about a year prior to selling it. You know, how did, how did it shift into more of a, you know, an operations at that point? Did, were all the, were, were your revenues based on per seminar speeches or like how, how did the, the revenue generation work within the, within the company? Yeah, we and we did really well. I mean, we've always been a, a cash positive business, very low overhead, all independent contractors for the most part. And so so really our revenue numbers were based off of how many seminars we would book. We also had a product line, so things like books, t-shirts. We did sponsorships. I almost uh, I kind of built the speaking tours, almost like we were a band going on tour. Mm. So we would sell sponsorships to companies, companies like uh, bedhead hair products, you know, or travel companies for the spring break tour. And uh, so we had quite a few different sources of income, but they were all mostly tied around the, the live events. And the reason that I didn't really totally think about it as a business until like the final year is because I never had any intention of selling it until that final year. And it's when we get into that mindset that we have to start thinking about, okay, well, why would someone else want to run with this? And how can I make it make sense for them? Well, and it's interesting. I'm curious on the tie because the the product lines, the sponsorships, and all all those different other income streams. Did you know what made you think of that 
because I think there's a lot of the reason behind the, the, the context behind the question, Aaron, is that a lot of speakers or a lot of professional services don't do that. And all of a sudden they get to that point where you have that question and then they're like, oh crap, I have nothing to sell. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, where was the, uh, the ideas behind those uh, different income streams? Yeah. You know, for me, what I ended up doing actually is I didn't sell like the company structure. What I sold was the intellectual property that basically was the whole company. And that I think is important to mention for entrepreneurs because sometimes you don't have to sell all the bones and everything. You can just kind of sell the idea, the trademark. I mean, in this actual sale, I, I sold the content of the seminar. I sold the training program to train the speakers. I sold a book I wrote about Girls Fight Back. I wrote um, just like everything, our training manuals, our uh, our images, our all of our, our website, everything. And, and then ultimately when it came time to sell, that person was super stoked about it because I basically had a turnkey business that I was uh, ready to give mm-hmm. her. So that, and that's a lot of stuff. So it was, that was all the, all those different things when you brought up the band and it was that kind of the model you, was there a band that you'd thought of and like, Hey, I just want to, I, I know I want to make money off all these things. And this is just, so you know, all these different channels to spread the word or did they kind of, I'm just curious on how, like how you ended up having all those different tentacles. Yeah, well, I mean, I just kind of looked at it from a marketing perspective of, would you rather just go see your favorite band just randomly <laughs> at uh, right. some random venue? Or do you want to go be part of the XYZ tour and like go to the Minnesota stop on the XYZ tour? You know, like it's like people want to be a part of something. And that's how we were able to sell the sponsor- sponsorships too, because they wanted to be a part of something. It also was good for the company because it, it, it kind of gave a definitive beginning and ending to something. You know, if you're to sell sponsorships and you don't have like an end of a tour, then, okay, when does that thing end? You know, when you just decide it to, there's like a feeling of completion in that. So I really love creating programs where it's, I mean, I almost look at it like an ecosystem, you know, you got like the main thing in the center and you got all these like little bubbles that, um, that kind of feed each other. They're all interdependent. The book is talking about the seminars. The seminars is pointing people to the free, free resources on the website, the on the website, you can book a program. You know, it's just, that's how it should be. So with this ecosystem, that is a direct reflection of you, your mission, your personal traumatic experience that you had. How did you, I mean, your identity must have been completely tied into all of this. You know, how did you de- decide that you wanted to potentially sell it? Yeah, my identity was completely interwoven, which I will also say is not the healthiest thing to do. For any kind of entrepreneur, um, even people that are like diehard into the personal branding right now, like making that the business, I, I do have like a slight concern about that for people because it doesn't always allow you to evolve into whatever you're supposed to evolve into. So for me, the, the pivotal shift was when I gave birth to my daughter, who's now five. And strangely enough, she arrived. <laughs> you can't play in this stuff. She arrived on June 21st, which is also the birthday of my murdered friend, Shannon. And it is completely crazy. And, um, it was a really spiritual experience for me, the whole birth process. I I, I doubt your listeners want to like it and all that, but all I can say is like, it, it felt like a new beginning, you know? And, um, I started to realize as she's born on Shannon's birthday and my daughter's Phoebe, they share a middle name though, Elizabeth. And, um, I just 
I just remember looking down at her and being like, you know what? It's like I've crossed the bridge from pain to peace. When Shannon was murdered, like I was just in crippling pain. And for me, the way I dealt with it was activism and making girls fight back. And and now we're at this point where it's humming along and I got a team and I got agents and I got managers. I, I mean, and like, I want to, I want to be reborn, you know, I, it's time for me to leave. But it took me, I would say a good year between that realization and actually the selling of the company. And in that final year is kind of what I was referring to before. That's when I was like, okay, so I want to leave. How do we do that? How do I make this thing not only like sellable, but I was looking at it because it's such a passion project. How can I make this like 10 times better functioning without me than it was with me? So what is the first thing that you did other than heal and, and take care of your, of your new daughter? I mean, what, when you went back to the business, what was the first thing that you did to initiate that journey? Well, something that was kind of helpful for me which I do recommend to other entrepreneurs in this space is I started to realize what was coming next. And for me, what was coming next was helping people speak their truth. And I I had really been pulled by the medium of Ted talks. And I started volunteering as a coach, a Ted speaking coach for TEDx Boulder. And uh, a few of the people that I worked with were going viral. And I started seeing, okay, like everything I learned on stages and training speakers with girls fight back can be applied to different subject matters and, you know, different kinds of leaders. And so I thought that was helpful because, you know, it's always a little easier to let go of something when you kind of know what's like waiting in the, in the background. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. so knowing that information, it kind of helped me be more pragmatic about letting go of girls fight back than maybe I normally would have been. But I went just into detail mode. I started making spreadsheets. I started looking at how much it costs. I, frankly, I wish I would have done this exercise way earlier in in like the business because it was such an eye-opening experience. And I started having all these ideas of how it could run so much better, and uh, which I was able to pass on to the buyer. So really, that year was spent emotionally letting go, coming to peace with it, getting all the numbers, and and also just systemizing everything. I'm, I'm not. I'm much more of like a visionary personality. I'm not always good at turning it into like an operations manual. And I mean, that to me just sounds so boring. (laughs) And it was a great exercise because like, by the time I actually sold the company, it was so solid that, I mean, it was like almost handing someone a binder and being like, okay, you can run with this because it's so complete. Which you just the last like couple minutes, like it's so well said, Aaron, because I think that you, you did two different parallel paths that are crazy important, which is the emotional, psychological re, you know, rebirthing your new identity while you have the business. And, I, and which is not always the case. And a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with it. But, you know, it, would you mind sharing some of the actual details of what you did to actually help become help, help the business go from your passion project to an actual business? So was it certain things in the finances that you did? All these new ideas? Can you like, what are some of the actual tactical things that you did over those 12 months to make it that polished before you sold it? Yeah. I, I don't know if it's um, a much of as much of a tactical thing that I did as much as it was like a, a shift in mindset of like, like 
the way we treat something when it's just like this passion project that in my case, I was doing to keep my friend's legacy alive and teach women to live better lives to shift it to, okay, how can I make sure that this survives without me? It's just like a completely different mindset. But I mean, if I'm to get specific, um, I mean, definitely things like spreadsheets. I hired some coaches, consultants. I started going to therapy and processed Shannon's murder on on a different level that I couldn't have done when I was 22. But as a 35 year old, it was like a completely, you know, I had different tools and Mm -hmm. maturity. Oh, geez. What else did I do? I, I started pulling myself out more and more and more. Was there and, certain things with like the like the sponsorship relationships and other coaches that you were able to like delegate or like you know get prepped up to make it easier to hand off to someone else? Yeah, I mean, I I really tried to make everything as clean and clear as possible. When I did make the final decision to sell, one thing that I did do, I, I know a lot of entrepreneurs kind of hide it until the sale is happening. Mm-hmm. But I decided to go the other route. I started to talk pretty openly that. I felt my time was coming to an end and having those conversations was just, it just felt most authentic for me. Uh, there was nothing really on the line for me though. Like I know sometimes there's like, you have to keep certain things secret. Mm-hmm. It's just a part of business. For me, I had the ability to, to just say whatever I wanted. And so that was nice, but I just started having conversations. I also started calling up people and just saying, Hey, is this, is this a business that you feel you'd want to run with? And having those conversations very openly. Which is so interesting because like you said, there's a lot of times that you can't say that, but I mean, I think the the, the nature of your business probably lent it a little bit easier for that scenario to to happen. I think there's so many people that I I talk to where, you know, oh, I didn't know this was something that I could sell. You know, at what, where, where did you get the advice or what were some of the things that you were like, okay, I can sell this to someone else. And in your mind, did you have a couple people that you thought would want to buy it or who in your mind would be someone that you would want to pass it off to? Yeah, that in itself is is a powerful mindset that we can choose in this situation. I feel like a lot of entrepreneurs go at it from like who would want to buy it. But I looked at it as who will take care of this baby that I've made? You know, who do I want to buy it? And that's why I kind of went out to people. So I, I started going through the, in, the different industries where this might fit. So, you know, if we were to look at Girls Fight Back as just a business, okay, Girls Fight Back gives women's safety and self-defense seminars at high schools and colleges across the world. We also have a product line that all supports that messaging. Okay, who would that be an asset for? Well, first of all, they probably have to have some kind of personal drive. So there's, there's some sort of emotional connection. But... I started narrowing it down to teen and uh, young women's brands, beauty brands, um, media brands. Uh, my my um, a bunch of people who had trained me in self defense and personal safety, as like selling it to them as a program that they could offer in addition to other things they were doing. And uh, the one that actually turned out to end up buying it was actually my speakers bureau. Oh, and, no kidding! Yeah, and they um. This woman, amazing woman named Gina Kirkland, she had been our agent for, I think, about a year or so leading up to that point. And I was in the midst of having some conversations. And then finally, I was like, man, wouldn't it be so easy if I just sold it to Gina? Because she's like already like <laughs> doing it. And she's already seen, she has like the, the proof that this thing makes money already because she's selling me and selling our team. And so I called her on a Friday. I said, uh, hey, Gina, um, two questions for you. 
the first question, I just want to let you know that I'm going to be letting go of Girls Fight Back and, and I'm going to sell it. And would you represent the, the new buyer, assuming they want to keep the seminars going? And she said, well, you know, if they're cool, of course, you know, so I was like, all right, question number two, why don't you just buy it? <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, what the hell? You know, like, yeah, right, right. completely caught off guard. So I'm not the most like savvy person in that department, but I am direct. And so we talked about what that could look like. And, and then she was like, let me think about it over the weekend. And then she called me back on Monday. She was like, yeah, I want to buy it. Wow. <laughs> How many people did you talk to prior to that? I had talked to um, serious talks. I'd been in with two other companies. Wow. So the, uh, was it she the buyer or was the, the speaker's bureau the buyer? Well, she's the owner of the speaker's got, bureau. Got it, got it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So when she says yes, then like, what did you guys, what was the process that you guys went through? Was there like intense due diligence? Was it like, I mean, how did you land on a price? Did you guys go on like a multiple of EBITDA or did you just go straight from intellectual property and like how it generated cash? How did you guys come to some of those terms? You know, I, I was like Googling that topic, like crazy. And <laughs> I was, I mean, I feel really lucky to be in entrepreneur groups like YEC, like where you and I met, you know, like where, you know, we have access to EBITDA, people, what? Right? right? <laughs> yeah. Yet, even though I had access to all these great people and everything, at the end of the day, the number came down to a gut number. It came down to the number of, okay, what do I want to be making from this? What feels fair? How much do I, I knew she, what she was going to be making. Mm-hmm. She knew what she was going to be making because we both had been making it already. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it just kind of came down to fairness. And it also came down to one of the other potential buyers definitely had more money than this the speakers bureau and they were more of like a women's media brand. Mm-hmm. And yet I knew on a gut level that they were going to take this program and probably do what they were going to do with it. Mess and, it up or not, not have it in the light that you probably want it. Eh, I don't know what was going to happen. I just knew that they were going to take a lot of liberties with it. Mm-hmm. And, but with Gina, she wanted, she wanted, she loved what we already had and she believed in it and she had personal investment. And so for me, one thing I've learned, because I've had a lot of clients who have sold companies and um, they, didn't, they didn't feel good about it later, you know, mm-hmm. and I just decided, you know, I just want to feel good about it. Like, but that's like every decision in my life, you know, I, d- I maybe don't always make the most lucrative decisions, but I do feel good about most decisions that I make because I do trust myself. So anyway, I just came up with a number. I threw it to her. She kind of threw me back a number. And then, you know, it, it wasn't too hard. I will say when it got hard was when all the, the finance people and the lawyer people came in. <laughs> all right. <laughs> you know, and like, and they're in finance and legal. Awesome. You need it to do any kind of business transaction. But at some point it actually kind of felt like they were sucking the emotion. <laughs> well, they were kind of trying to kill the deal. It felt like, you know. They were certainly making it unenjoyable. And <laughs> I remember like running through an airport and like, I felt like the whole thing was going to blow up and I'm just calling Gina and be like, listen, do you want to do this with me? Like, do we want to do this? She's like, yeah, I want to do this. I was like, okay, well, we're going to have to like commit to doing this and get our people on board to commit to doing this, not to scrutinizing it, but to making it happen. And she was like, you're right. So it was kind of, it, it was weird that like, she and I, it was like they were almost, I think they were trying to protect their client, which is great. Mm-hmm. But she and I knew the business better than any of them. Like, right. 
so on some level, it almost reminds me of like when you're in a relationship, you know, and like things are just like blowing up left and right around you. Sometimes you just got to look at the person and be like, okay, are we doing this? <laughs> like, are we in? Right. I love you. Right. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Are we both? Okay. We're in this. So we're going to deal with everything else. And until you know, if there's a commitment, I feel like it's really hard to work on the everything else. Yeah. That's a really good point. What, what were some of the big snakes that the, the legal and the finance team were just, you know, making sure that they were kicking the can down the road. Was it something like terms, conditions? Was it, what, I mean, what were the things that they were um, really scrutinizing? You know, I, um, I think it was mostly uh, people on her side that just kind of thought that financially it wasn't a good deal for her. And she, but she knows the numbers and here's, here's one of the big mistakes that I made, especially as being a 22 year old entrepreneur, I just had terrible records. I, I made so many mistakes on how I spent my money. Oh my God. That's a whole different podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Give me, give me two or three things. Oh my gosh. Like I, I had some adventures in book publishing where I got sued by my book agent and like had to pay out all this money because I signed a bad deal because I didn't hire an attorney to look at a contract. I mean, there's so many different layers of that. So just like there were a few, I would say I almost did it once a year. <laughs> like, <some major laughs> Consistent ad back in the terms of a, a deal, right? <laughs> oh my gosh. That's a major entrepreneurial mess up. Like I was guaranteed to, do, guaranteed to do that at least once a year. But I mean, I was also in my twenties. I'd never gone to business school. I'd never, there weren't even thing. The internet wasn't there to go to, to ask for things. Business coaches weren't readily available. And so I was almost learning through my mistakes. And so, yeah, that was glorious. But so I don't blame the finance people in some respects because some things just didn't make sense on paper. But the thing about at least my kind of business, and I know a lot of entrepreneurs feel just emotional connection and they see the potential. And if you don't believe in the business, it's not going to work. And so the difference is that Gina and I, we believed in it. The finance people were just staring at spreadsheets and didn't have that belief. Yep. They're just, they're more historians looking at the back picture, not understanding what the the future looked like. Exactly. Well, you know, can you imagine how it would have been different if you would have sold it to someone else that didn't believe in it? And it was more of like a financial buy, how that could have been different? Yeah, it probably just wouldn't have worked. <laughs> it would have blown up at some point. And I knew that. And so I, that's probably one of the reasons that I went with her versus those other people for that very reason. Because I mean, she gets it. She gets what you're doing. Gets the business. And it, how did you guys structure like the the actual payment? Was it more? Was it you know a lump sum? Did they? Was it finance? Was it kind of like an earnout tied to performance? Or, I mean, what were some of the the inner workings of that? Um, we had just a payout schedule over about two years, and and it was really clean. So it, there was like a promissory note attached to the the final sale agreement. And so I knew on which dates I'd be getting which lump payments and, you know, we, it was, it was long and, you know, spread out. But again, that was a choice that I made that I was okay with because I wanted to sell to someone like her mm-hmm. and I understood her cash flow. So there was just like a lot of graciousness in that. Mm-hmm. Where, what was your role like after you guys inked the deal? I mean, did, did you stick around? Did you like, were you off doing the, your next venture already? Or like, how did you, you know, you had said that you had been shifting your mindset, your emotional identity, all that kind of stuff. How did you continue that transformation? Yeah, the other business was kind of in motion. Uh, it's called Evoso. So I, that already had kind of started up. And um, I'm, I'm still an advisor to Girls Fight Back. 
And I mean, she doesn't need me very much anymore. She's, she's really got a great handle on it and it's thriving. And some, sometimes I'll step in and train the speakers. Like if they're about to go on CNN or if she hires a bunch of new speakers, then she'll bring me out to LA and I'll train them. And, uh, and she comes to me with any questions, but you know, part of what Gina and, and really her support people too, that came in on the deal they were just so engrossed in not only learning the business, but actually learning what we did. So like we were doing self-defense training with them. Like <laughs> I mean, all of my, like all of my trainers, all of my gurus were like training her and her staff. Out in LA and <laughs> uh, that's so, awesome. I mean, really Embrace the whole thing. So it, it, for me, I, I mean, I know so many people that either have regrets around selling their business or it was just really hard or a bad memory. I just had such a solid, amazing experience in that department. I'm so proud of what they're doing today. How did the that year as your daughter was growing up, how did that affect your ability to to transform and like give that up, that identity? I mean, was there certain things that you did or was that experience in itself enough? You know, I just really felt complete with it. I just... You know, taking that whole year from Phoebe being born until the actual sale of it. And then I, I did a bunch of really cool uh, therapy and like spirituality type stuff like, right after I sold it. I went to this great, actually the day I, I signed the deal, I basically FedExed it and then got on an airplane and went out to San Francisco. And I did this really cool thing called the Hoffman process. And it's, um, it's over a week long. And it's like super intensive, kind of almost like a group therapy experience, but really teaching you about like uh, self-acceptance, self-love and moving through any kind of old stuff that might be in your space. And it was a really transformational experience. And so after that happened, I was, I, I just kind of felt like, okay. How'd you pick that? I had heard about it from a friend and, and he'd had just a really amazing experience there. And so he didn't tell me too much about it. I think sometimes those are the best experiences when you don't exactly know what you're walking into, but it specifically is a program that focuses on our parents and how we were raised and patterns that we picked up from our parents, stories, whether they're true or not, that we believe about them and how that affects us in our current lives. And I have amazing parents. Um, so it wasn't about like healing a bad childhood, but I also had awareness that I had some patterns in my life that I was looking to heal. When you walked out of there, how did your feeling and your mindset when you walked out project you into what you're doing now? I think my mindset out of there was just like, okay, it's time to be a next level authentic version of myself. And sometimes that means you have to burn the house down a little bit, you know? Yeah. Might have to make some changes in your life. I had to let go of the business that was no longer in alignment with who I am. It doesn't mean there was anything wrong with the business. It just mean that it means that I evolved in mm -hmm. that. And that's good. And, and then I had to make some changes in my personal life and do some other healing around that. Um, so it, it was a, another journey within itself. Can you, for our listeners that aren't necessarily aware of or um, exposed to it, explain your passion behind the authentic self and the reason for the question, Aaron, other than because I think what you're doing is awesome, is I think that entrepreneurs grow 
as themselves throughout their business. And again, they end up being stuck with a company that might not be themselves anymore. And so I think that your topic and how you describe it is extremely applicable to the listeners who are running companies and have inner conflict because of the situation that they've found themselves in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can be its own kind of prison when you almost <laughs> right. become, you know, a victim of your own success or or even like in different kinds of businesses, like family businesses, where you feel like, oh, I have to carry on something because it's in the family or I mean, there could be a million reasons why we feel stuck, whether it's stuck from external reasons or stuck from internal reasons. But I am so passionate about becoming more and more authentic versions of ourselves. I don't see authenticity as a a light switch that you're either authentic or, you know, not authentic. It's, I feel like it's a spectrum and part of being a spirit in a body in this lifetime is about learning who we are and remembering the essence of ourselves and bringing that through in our personal and professional lives. And um, I'd say probably where I really discovered that though was, so after I was selling Girls Fight Back and I was working with TED speakers, helping them get their, their messages refined. And I was having these moments of being like, oh, oh man, I'm working with this TED speaker who's done XYZ amazing thing. And like this person cannot like coherently distill down into like a 10 to 18 minute talk what they actually do. And I noticed there was this perpetual confusion, even in these incredibly successful people's lives. And so I started this, this process that I'm currently writing a book about called The Dig. And what we do in The Dig is I ask someone basically their life story and I pull out all of the themes that have been repeating throughout your entire life. And the goal of The Dig is to find what your operating system is, which is usually a series of words that work together. Like the, it's almost like your value system, but they're all in relationship to each other. But within that process, there is one word that is like your end all be all. It's like we each have one word that we're here for. And it's not about the word. It's about the word is the best tool that we have to capture the energy of it. But once you figure out that one word, then all of a sudden everything in your life, whether it's your TED talk or your relationships or whatever, everything starts to make sense because you're either in alignment with your word or your truth or you're out of alignment with it. And so um, I came to the conclusion my word through the dig uh, is authentic. So pretty much everything throughout my life is going to be about getting to the more authentic version of myself and others. It's kind of one of my superpowers with other people. And anytime I am not being authentic, it, it starts to hurt. I'm out of alignment. Mm-hmm. And so everybody has their own word. And uh, anyway, I found that through the dig process, it just helps people be their more authentic selves. And I just have seen, I've worked now with hundreds of people doing that for all sorts of different reasons and outcomes. But I've seen one thing across the board is that the more consciousness we have around why we're here and that big purpose, the better decisions we can make in our life to be in alignment. I think that your process for the listeners and all of the clients that I have and all these business owners, they, they need something like that. Cause I've had uh, Aaron on the show, you know, people that talk about, you know, meditating and having some quiet and all this stuff. And I think for entrepreneurs, it's very, very difficult to do that, which I still think is extremely necessary, but there, I think a lot of entrepreneurs feel themselves out of alignment, you know, mm-hmm. cause they've grown, they've, they've got this golden, cage or prison, like you said, where you're making a bunch of money, you may or may not like what you do anymore. And then, so this process sounds like it's something that is extremely applicable. And what happens when you go through this and you realize you're out of alignment and you're sitting there probably just eyes wide open? How do you, 
how do you help someone deal with that situation? Well, half the battle is knowing. So once we have consciousness right. around, okay, maybe my case, maybe I'm not being very authentic right now. That's why this is kind of giving, getting me bad results. <laughs> then, then I have a choice. Okay, I know why this is happening because I'm not being authentic or as, as authentic as I could be. Do I want to course correct or do I want to stay on this path? Mm-hmm. It's really as simple as that. We're either moving towards our truth or away from it in any given moment. And we can choose. There are times that I don't want to be authentic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, yeah, <laughs> you know? I'm, yeah, right. <laughs> doesn't usually have the best outcome. And I like to think that as I mature, I mean, I just turned 40. I like to think that when I'm 70 or 80, that it's like I will have, there would be nothing appetizing about being remotely inauthentic. I'm probably going to be one of those old people that's like just telling everybody where you're you know? <laughs> the really um, entertaining people in the nursing homes, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'll be super fun at party. But, um, you know, but for now, that's where I'm at. And so, like, if a person, I noticed that I've worked with a few entrepreneurs that, and their word is freedom. That tends to be a big uh, word that's a driver and part of the operating system and an entrepreneurial mindset. So it's like, okay, if you know that that's your word, then at any given moment, you're, you're building your life to be more free or to be less free. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't always mean that we have to like change some kind of external circumstance. Sometimes it's a matter of changing the internal voice of what we're telling ourselves freedom is, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So it's not really a cut and dry process. I, I mean, it's high, it's completely custom. There's, I've never done a dig that's the same as someone else's and it's yours. And it's yours to play with for the rest of your life. Well, I think you, you nailed it when you said half the battle is knowing. I mean, easily, maybe even more than that is. And then, then you at least have an idea of what the decisions you have that you have to make. Right. And also with when we complete the dig, I, I always uh, help people come to a, we call it the dig question. So if you're finding yourself in a rut uh, or if you're triggered out about something or in a repeating pattern, just having a very simple question to ask yourself to bring yourself back to the awareness around your dig word. So in my case, my, my question is, what is the most authentic thing I can do right now? So if I'm in a crisis, if I'm bored, if I, it doesn't matter. But asking myself that question will give me one baby step out of the rut and into alignment. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I love it. I love it. So if... if if you're one of our listeners and you've got a business and, you know, maybe because we've talked about it, so many different things, if, if there's one thing that you want to highlight from your journey and or with the dig process, you know, w- that we've talked about, what's the one thing you want to highlight or maybe one thing you want to leave people with that we haven't talked about? Yeah, the one thing, you know, I would just I would just give to any listener. Um, I can't give a person permission, but I would invite them to give themselves permission to evolve in whatever evolution looks like for you in this moment. If that means selling your business, great. If that means being in the pain of staying in the business or growing the business to the next level, great. If that means shutting down your business and a sale isn't feasible, great. <laughs> you know, But permission to evolve. Can we give ourselves that? Well, right, and and use a process like the dig, and you know, and not everybody can have a baby and have it be perfectly transformational like you had. But I think, and it's such an amazing experience that you went through, and now you're able to give that gift to other people, and and it and it takes work. I mean, it really does. Mm-hmm. Sure does. And by the way, I mean, I fail constantly. Like you know, I'm I'm failing at my word all the time, but I'm getting better at my word all the time too. And so 
Well, at you least you, you, you at least know whether you're in the rut or you're in alignment. Doesn't mean you're always going to be in alignment, but at least you know how. At least you can calibrate whether you are or you aren't. Yeah, and you know why. That's has. I, I feel like sometimes we stay in ruts because we don't know why we're in a rut. <laughs> right. Right. You know, it's almost like it becomes this like self perpetuating cycle. Yep. Of like, then the rut becomes. Well, why am I feeling this way? Am I depressed? Am I this? Am I that? And do I need to get divorced? You know, it's like, or maybe you're just out of alignment with your truth. Right. Right. (laughs) What's the, what's the best way for our listeners to get in touch with you if they want to explore the dig or if they want to explore any of the the materials that you have out there? Yeah. People can just visit my website at AaronWeed.com. On there is information about the dig, uh, which is an experience. You could do it in a group setting uh, or privately. And I also am the founder of Evoso, which is an academy for leaders who want to speak their truth. So this is where we do training and coaching, consulting, and helping people with their public speaking and their authentic communication. So um, if you want to learn more about that, you can go to evoso.com, E-V-O-S-O. Perfect. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Aaron. I appreciate it very much. Oh, thank you. Thanks for sticking in there till the end of the episode with Erin. I just loved her story and her passion to be able to take some tragic event like that and then make something of it, create a legacy and a business that goes on and transcends her roommate and her own entrepreneurship venture, I think is amazing. My big takeaway from my interview with Erin was how she was able to really look inside and part with something that was ingrained in her. And she even called herself an activist entrepreneur from the very beginning. So for her to be able to do this and part ways and look forward to something new and recreate herself is a great example of how we can all do that. And it takes a little bit of work and it takes maybe a process like her dig to dig down and understand what is it that you're all about. And if you have internal conflict on who you are, what you represent and what your business represents, I think it's time to recalibrate and understand, is there a way to become an absentee owner and then go on and pursue your next career while you have your company? Or is it time to look up and determine what's next on the next stage of life? So I really hope you enjoyed the interview with Erin. She's got an amazing amount of passion and wisdom and check out her website and her tools if it's something that'll help you get started. So I'll see you next week.